Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. My response of it's been knocked down was returned with near hysterical laughter. I hadn't realised, but she was right. I had left a trail of destruction behind me. It all started with primary school, an old convent in New Road, converted into a school because of the quad in the middle, all the classes held in a mix of wooden-floored buildings. There was a climbing frame there when I started, but which was swiftly removed when Damien fell on his head. Us five-year-olds were intrigued by the significant stream of blood flowing down the gentle slope of the playground towards the exit of the building, as Damien was carried away by besuited teachers. The next day he appeared with a bandage around the upper half of his head, making him look slightly frowny as he gave us a big grin. As I progressed through school I was invited one day to walk almost halfway home to a building site with my teacher and four friends. It was here that I found out that my primary school was to be closed and we'd be housed for my final year in a new building made up almost entirely of breeze blocks with no internal doors. We got to walk on the building site and we learned how theodolites worked and the following year we moved into the new school and the old one was closed down forever. It was at the new school that I started to enjoy the idea of reading and join the puffing club, something that my wife still takes the piss out of me for. My secondary school was about 15 miles away and so the morning routine was to either cycle or to be driven to Sanborn so that a couple of priests could take a band of us to school in a small minibus. It was a combined boys' day and boarding school run by the Sacred Heart Brothers, so my wife always drops into polite conversation that I was taught by monks and then sniggers. The daytime activity was fairly orderly, but I had no idea what went on in the evenings, until, when my father became ill, I had elected to board at school to give mum more time. At the end of the school day I would smile at my dayboy mates as they went off to catch the train home, and I would take the stone staircase up to the dorms. The school staff retreated or there would sometimes be an isolated figure appearing sliding by their shoulder along the wall, clearly smashed out of their brains. Our maths teacher, whom we called Frosty, he chain-smoked and would drink in the pub every evening, so it was often an ad hoc duty of mine to politely open his door and watch him sometimes fall forwards into the darkness of his room. Now I'd read Tom Brown's school days based on rugby school in the 1830s, where teachers were strict during the day and left sight in the evenings with all the chaos that ensued. Now here, nearly 150 years later, I was surrounded by smoking, alcohol and fighting. I think I spent my first evening simply agog, mouth wide open. What had I done? It was during this time that I met Murph, a fairly quiet, unprepossessing lad, who often had his arms folded. The arms were already pretty hairy, and he had longish hair and a moustache at fourteen. The stories about him were interesting. He had boarded from day one, and at the age of eleven, a large but hapless seventeen-year-old had tried to bully him. Murph not only beat him up, but the legend that this created followed him throughout the school. I got on well with him, and I loved his sense of humour, and he mine. I'm sure that I was able to walk through my time at that school without concern simply because of his friendship. I never ever saw Murph fight with anyone, but those who had said, you never want to upset him. It meant people wouldn't approach him. I honestly believe that he only got involved with fighting when he felt it was right to do so. It must have put an aura around me just to be a friend with him. 
one who didn't seem to have to worry about the wrath that might befall me if I stepped out of line. Of course, I never felt I came near to doing that, but maybe just sheer naivety on my part. One day, I noted that all the beds in the dorm were stripped, and people had left. I was one of the last people in the school. A quirk because I happened to be taking one of the last exams on the exam board's timetable, and so me and a few others had sat in the near-empty hall. I hadn't realised that not many more would sit there ever again. I hadn't really thought about the end of school, and no one else had thought so either. So I remember thinking, hmm, I might as well pack up my stuff and find my way home. I remember walking out of the school unchecked and hitching home. I got a ride back from someone who just said, look, I'll take you home. I took my wife there many years later to show her the Italianate church filled with the mosaics that the artist took twelve years to do. I knew the place so well, but it was strange to leave the church and just see a housing estate where once my school had stood. This is where she started to joke with me about my history tumbling down behind me. I'd gone on to study at the Matthew Bolton College in Birmingham, now flattened and blocks of flats have replaced it. Another life lesson. It was the only college within a hundred miles of me that did the technical course offered that I wanted to do. But it was known as the place where others would go if they'd failed their A-levels at school. I'd got my job at the dental school, also now closed, and moved to a new site, incidentally. Quite close to our practice, in fact. So I worked full-time at the hospital, but needed to do one day a week at the college. Even though my classes and labs were on the seventh floor, I soon learned not to use the lifts. One day... A group of lads got in the lift with me, about six of them. They were silent, but kind of smiling at each other, just enough to make me feel uneasy. As the lift slowed on its approach to the seventh floor, the lads all jumped up in sync, making a loud bang on the floor of the lift. The door didn't open. The lift lights started flashing, and just as I thought we were now trapped in the lift, the doors opened. But we were now at floor level two, having plummeted down the lift shaft. It was just fortunate that the lift must have had some kind of safety mechanism. I politely said, Oh, my floor, and exited immediately. Fortunately, Guy's Hospital and the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh have survived my curse, but the Children's Hospital in Brighton did close to open on another site, and also the units that I worked in in Warwick. So maybe the curse is lifting. What did I do? My practice has been open 20 years, set in an 1840 building. It was originally used by a mill owner, the seven mills that were so useful along the River Ray have now long gone, so it's great to think of this building still being used in such a new and cutting-edge way, a building that would have been built at around the same time that Tom Brown's school days was based. Mm-hmm.